Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everyone. What a great day to be alive, isn't it? It beats the alternative. Amen. Um, I, I, had, uh, I don't have my phone, so I don't have it in front of me, but um, a family, actually, I think the family is sitting here this morning, had sent me an email this week. I love these emails. Uh, I enjoy humor, good humor. And it was uh, a little boy came into uh, his grandpa's church service. They came into the foyer, and they had a great big plaque. It was a memorial plaque in the foyer. And they stopped and had the names of those who had served and died. And they stopped and they were looking at it. And the boy was looking at it. He wasn't quite sure what all that was. And he asked Grandpa, <clears throat> what are those names? And Grandpa says, those that are those, it, names of those that have died in service. And the boy, just very quiet, looking at the names. After some time had passed, the boy asked his second question. Grandpa, was it the 9.30 or the 11.11 service that they died in? You will not die in service, but in those masks, you may feel like you're getting close. That was a segue into her masks. Thank you for wearing them, and thank you for coming. And those, we are streaming live, uh, and we welcome everyone who is joining us live as well. I'm going to invite you to join me in, your, in the Bibles. If you have your Bibles, have your devices, please turn with me. And we're going to go to John chapter 17. It's our series. We're finishing the series today. I, this was a brand new series. It came out of this whole season that we're in. And so we're going to finish it off today. I want to talk starting next week from the book of Philippians if you were to put a definition, and I'm sure your Bibles would even have this, if you turn to it and it defines what the book of, if it was to put a theme to the book of Philippians, it would say it's the book of joy, joy in spite of. And I thought that would be really good for us just to chew on, we need joy in spite of. Joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness has to do with circumstances, joy doesn't. Joy is beyond circumstance. And the New Testament church, especially in the book of Philippians, talked about joy in a way that transcends any sort of circumstance. So next week, we're going to just do a systematic approach, just a few weeks going through, because it's a book of joy, and we really need joy. I really believe this, because when we come into the next few months, that we need to be thinking about, we need to be really thinking about our, uh, what gives us joy and what gives us purpose in life. We've been talking a lot about purpose, but I want to talk, if we don't understand the joy in the midst of purpose, then purpose becomes uh, filled with effort, filled with striving, becomes arduous, painful, often resentful when we're doing something, but we've lost the joy of doing it. We've lost the joy of living, the joy of what it is that we are doing and 
what we are engaged in. And there is joy, and we need to embrace that joy. And so, anyway, we're going to be looking at that. I look forward to it. But today's our last time together. John chapter 17, if you have it there, um, you know what? If we have it up here, can we read it together with one voice, everyone together? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Father in heaven, we ask that you would guide us this morning. We not only want to do a dissertation around a few verses. I know, Lord, for one, I came here that your Holy Spirit would do a work on me. Even though I'm going to be teaching, but Lord, from the outset, even as we have sung and we sang that great benediction song, I say yes, I say amen to that. God, let it be in my life. Lord, I pray your word has life-changing effect in every man and woman and teenager and child here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This text, our theme, which is of but not, we are in the world but not of the world. In but not of, that's been our theme. And it comes from verse 16 here, where Jesus is making this prayer before the Father, speaking of not only the people of the time but us. We are not of this world. This world does not define me. So I, I think we've been hearing this over and over again. We're getting, the world doesn't define me. But I am in the world. And I add one more section. Really, I picked this up last week, and I've added one more part to it. So we're in the world, not of the world, yet for the world. I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here just buying time till I get to heaven. As a matter of fact, our purpose is for this world. I'm here for a purpose. And here's the big question. This is the big question. Am I accomplishing the purpose for which I have been sent or not? That's the big question of life. I want to be able to, at the end of life, to be able to answer that question, the purpose not simply to procreate it and have children. That is good, but that's not an end in itself. The purpose is to have fulfilled the will of God. That he would be able to say, well done, my son. Well done. Done what? What have I done? You have fulfilled your purpose. So what is that purpose? What is my design? I'm not de- that's not determined by society. It's not determined because of your, your job. So whatever your job, if, if you are uh, you know, a, a laborer, if you are a contractor, if you are a businessman, if you're a marker, it's not determined by your title. If you are retired, it's not determined by retired. If you are students, not determined by the word student. If you are teachers, not determined by the word teacher. If you are doctor, not determined by doctor. It's not in a title. It's in the purpose by which God has framed you and released you into society. It determines us. So that's the whole theme that we've been talking. The second scripture I would like you to turn to, and it's Isaiah chapter 43. Can we go to Isaiah 43, verse 18? Isaiah 43, if we have it up here, let's say it together. Everyone together, one voice. 
Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wastelands. Now, this two-verse text was written in the middle of a very turbulent time in Israel's life. And God just stepped in. The whole chapter 43 is an amazing chapter. God just steps into this chapter and he says, you've got to get your heads out of the past. Forget the former things. In other words, do not dwell on them. doesn't mean that you're going to forever forget them and the people and the names and the places. And, but you are dwelling on it and stop it. Everybody say stop it. I just like seeing your mask bubble up when you say that. Stop it. We need to stop those things. Stop dwelling on what was, good or bad. Because it's past. We can't change it. We can't alter it. Hopefully we're stronger by it, but stop dwelling on it. Stop dwelling on it. Verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. And last week we were looking at Ezekiel 47 where the son of, he kept saying, Son of man, do you see it? Do you see it? Here we see it again. Isaiah, do you see it? Do you perceive it? I'm making a way in a desert. We talked that last week. God makes ways in the depressed areas and streams in the wasteland. Okay, I've got a question for you. Be honest. I know you would not be, but respond. This does require audience participation. How many here like roller coasters? Hold your hand up and hold it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. You like roller coasters. Like roller co- Hold it up. Keep it up. Okay, I'm going to ask a second question. Okay, about half of you. I'm looking at all the crazies here. Okay, my hand is actually up too. How many like speed on roller coasters? You like the speed. That's what, that's, okay, if you don't, put your hand down. Okay, I don't know if I saw a hand go down. Okay, thank you. You ever been on a roller coaster? You get in there. It's one of the ones that are going to just make your eyes go dry. They bring the bars down, snap them, move on. They do it so quickly. Somebody that looked like they're 12 years old that just snapped you in. And then, and then they start it, and you start up the chain. You start up the first lip. And as you're going up, you realize that you were a little too big when they snapped it. You've sunk down in the seat. My goodness, there's space between you and the bars. You're going to fly out. Ever, been, ever had that happen? And you're thinking, this is not good. You get up by that time, you're thinking, I, I need, but they're way back there. They're paying no attention to you. And you're up over the hill. You're coming down. You're blasting in that first shoot of the roller coaster. You're screaming. You are sure you're going to be ejected out of that thing. And then you hear the announcer come on the system and he says, do you want to go faster? And you say, no. But everybody around you drowns you out by going faster. And you're sure you're going to die. This is it. Lord, I'm coming home. Speed. It's a known fact. Speed is addictive. Speed is addictive. Uh, There are those, and I have tendencies to be in there too, Sometimes you're driving fast and you don't need to be driving fast. There's nobody on the road. You're not in a hurry. As a matter of fact, you get there, you don't know what you're going to do when you get there. But you just like speed. You just like moving quickly. And 
it is a known fact that speed can be addictive. We live in a very, in a society, and society, every society, every new generation, the older generation always says, oh, the new generation is just going too fast. That is a common thing. That's not uncommon. But we are truly living in a time in which the generations are developing faster. When, they, when we begin to profile new generations, we can't profile them based on the previous because it changes too quickly. So the profile has to be, you almost, you almost have to throw out the old so you can get an accurate new profile on the new generation. And where you used to see a generation being so many years, I mean now a generation is considered even between three to four years, the generation flips. So in other words, there's a whole new style in that in three to four years. I mean, that's crazy. That's why I like, give up trying to keep up with the clothing market. It's just like, oh, it changes so fast. And our culture changes fast. And, and of course, part of that is our marketing so that we feel that we have to have that so we buy it and they make money on you. Our culture is changing. Generations are changing very fast. And the church, here we are as body of believers, followers of Jesus Christ, living in the midst of this constant influx of change. So here's the question. Here's where I'm going with this. How then do we live? as followers of Jesus in this society. Remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, yet we're for the world. But how, how are we for the world? How do we do this? COVID, if there's one thing I could be thankful for, I wasn't at first, and at times I'm still not. It has changed the playing field. The rules of the game of life have changed. You would not in the world have thought five months ago that y'all would be sitting in church with masks on. Neither would I. You would have not guessed five months ago, neither would have I, that we would be spaced out like this and this space would be a good thing. You could have beat me over the head, I wouldn't have believed you. It would be like, crowd them in, that's a good thing. More! Squeeze them in, tighter, louder, faster. And here we are, months later, and it's a new paradigm we're up against. We're developing something unique, and it continues to evolve. There's, this moment is causing everybody, and it ought to. This is why I embrace it. It's causing us to reevaluate everything. Is that okay? Can we reevaluate everything? A couple weeks ago we talked about it's time to hit the reset. It's time to go back. What is God's original plan? Because maybe we're on the wheel. You know how those hamsters, you know, that you keep going around and around. It looks so silly. It's like, do you realize you're spending a lot of effort going nowhere? But somewhere we have to get off that and be productive. But when you're on it, you don't know you're on it. Until you're forced to get off. And then you're going, shoot, I was going nowhere there. And in this time, we are reevaluating life. We ought to reevaluate. And it's reevaluating our values, reevaluating our lifestyle, reevaluating our relationships. There's people we thought we were close with. In the last three or four months, we realized we weren't that close. And there's people we never gave a whole lot of thought to, maybe for you, I know it's true for us, that those people have really stepped up. 
And it's like, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Because life was so moving so fast, I didn't see that initially. The early church, the book of Acts, the early church didn't keep up with its time. The first century church changed time. And if we're trying to keep up, if we're trying to fit into where the grooves are and the latest, we're not to. So we can just shake that off. The New Testament church didn't keep up with the times. The New Testament church changed times. The New Testament church didn't simply find itself in history in the time of Nero. The New Testament church rewrote history at the time of Nero, the time of the Romans. The New Testament church radically impacted their culture. You read through the book of Acts and, and the epistles, you see that this church was transformational. It was not a conforming group of people. Doesn't mean that they were against society. They developed a brand new culture. The church were not simply runners up in the rat race. The church was the forerunner of what was developed and what we enjoy today. And it's called, one word, momentum. Everybody say the word momentum. The title of what I want to share in this last session of In But Not Of Yet For is Spiritual Momentum. As we hit the reset, we hit the repurpose, that's not enough. We must enter spiritual momentum. Spiritual momentum. I'm going to talk of those two. Those two are very clear. Let's just hold spiritual for a moment. We're going to talk about momentum for a while because I think there's a false definition to that. The definition of momentum simply is that which is gained by moving forward. The question today is, how does today's church regain spiritual momentum? How do we get back? This is the reevaluation. I'm not a scientist, but I did come across a scientific formula for momentum. Here's the scientific formula. Put it in front of you. P equals mv to the power of 2. P is momentum. M, mass. V, velocity. So to have momentum, you must have mass and velocity. It's a scientific equation. I'm going to work on that. Velocity, though, without mass does not produce momentum. Okay? Movement without mass produces nothing. On the other hand, mass, you can have mass, but if it doesn't move, it produces nothing. You must bring those two together. Then you have spiritual momentum. The size of mass does not equal the degree of momentum. The size. So in other words, the idea that bigger is better doesn't work. The quantity does not equal effectiveness. Give an illustration here. You can go to a Rolling Stones concert in Aurelia. And there can be 600,000 people. That's a mass. That's a big mass. Attending a Rolling Stones concert. But 600,000 people doesn't mean that that mass has generated momentum. Some might quibble that maybe it's generated some massive insanity maybe, but it has not generated momentum. But it's a mass. You can't deny it. We can go to a reality game show. We can watch a reality game show. There are 20 million viewers every time the show goes on the air. 20 million. But that doesn't mean they've generated momentum. They've got mass. Mass is not equal to momentum. So let's bring it to the church. 
We can have a group of people together. You can have 200 people. You can have 1,000. You can have 2,000. Every single week. But that doesn't mean you're, genu- you're generating genuine spiritual momentum. You see, the Bible never anywhere says that you are to go out and, and make converts, make masses. It says you are to go out and make disciples. And the disciples are on duty. They are released. There's, there's mass people with momentum and purpose, with direction. Mass does not equal momentum. Bigger is not the same as better. We see this in Scripture, Judges chapter 7. If you know the story in Judges 7, Israel is about to go to war. Yet God tells Israel, you got too many people. Kind of an odd thing to say when you go to battle, you would think bigger the better. But that's not true. Not in, remember, God is not defined by our culture. So God is not defined by numbers. He's not defined by time. He's not defined by power. His definition is counterculture. So when Gideon was about to go to battle, God was saying, you need to trim this thing back. Mass to Gideon was important. 30,000 men was important to Gideon. God, 300 was important. Because those 300 had momentum. The 30,000 were mass. So what did God do? He trimmed it down 300. Now you have momentum to win the battle. We see this typical throughout Scripture that God does not get caught up in our focus on mass. It's so easy to be infatuated with mass, with numbers, with quantity that does not carry the weight of genuine force. You know you can have a group of people together and that group of people going nowhere. You can have a small number and that small number makes it happen. We know that if you, have, if you have numbers, if you have employees, it's not how many you have. It's who you have. And are they moving forward with momentum? Makes all the difference. And in a society, you see, in the world, often focuses on mass. But not God. So momentum, okay, we're talking mass. Mass is not simply numbers. It does not simply, it's just a bulk of something. Bigger is not always better. Now, on the other hand, smallness is also not the answer either. Just small for smallness sake. Let's use the church for instance. There are those, I come across them every once in a while, who do not believe in the church, who do not believe in gathering together, the assembling of the saints together, in the worship together. They don't believe in it. They don't want it. They don't believe in it. They don't think we should be together. But just because you want to be really, really small does not give you momentum either. If you were to go to a tree... You don't prune the tree to kill it. You don't prune a tree simply to make it small. You prune the tree to make it healthy so it grows again. And you keep pruning it so it's healthy and grows again. So the tree produces. You don't make small for the sake of smallness. You make small, if you need to, for the sake of now it becomes healthy. Smallness is not the answer either. So let's dismantle all these things. No, no, that's not the answer. Because that in itself still does not create momentum. It's just small. That's all it is. Just as big is also not the answer. Mass does not equal momentum gained. Now let's talk about velocity for a minute. Because it talks about mass and velocity brings momentum. Mass and velocity. So velocity. For mass to become momentum, there has to be velocity. Here's the catch. Speed, remember I gave the illustration of the roller coaster and the number of you like speed. Speed is not equal to velocity. 
It's not the same. They're not synonymous. Speed and velocity is not the same. Speed usually expresses how fast something is moving. But speed in and of itself has no direction. You know you can be blasting in a particular direction but totally going in the wrong way. You're not in momentum. Speed in itself is not the answer. Speed is speed. Moment or velocity is different. Velocity contains direction. Velocity is speed going somewhere with a purpose. Velocity is speed that has design. That's velocity, not just speed. So we can be busy, 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 and, and, and we know people. Maybe our lives have been defined by that. Busy, 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 and at the end of whatever period of time you want to evaluate it, you look back and you go, I haven't hardly accomplished anything. I know when it comes to construction, okay? It's not my forte. I can work away and bang away and do all kinds of stuff and make all kinds of noise and spend all kinds of money and take forever... You bring somebody who that's their gift and they're good at it, they will do it in a fraction of the time, do it so much better. They had momentum. All I did is said, make a mess and try to do it quickly. It's not the same. Velocity and speed, not identical. Speed or velocity is speed with a purpose. It's speed going somewhere. It's speed with direction. Therefore, velocity made human is action with direction. Now, where am I going with this? Follow with me. Remember, we're going back to the Scripture, our text that we were looking at this morning. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on them. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? I'm making a new way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. So it helps us when we come to this other Scripture, and the Scripture that we read here is 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Biblically, run in the way to get the prize. There's speed, there could be mass, but there has to be spiritual momentum. When we reevaluate, hit the reset, hit the repurpose, and we retool, we got to hit the re-spiritual momentum. What is it that I'm purposed to accomplish in these days? Spiritual momentum. Well, we come with the place of application. We see in the first century church, and I've been reading this with my staff, the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. Did you notice it didn't say the, the words of the Apostle? You see, we, people, we need to be people of men and women of the Word. We need to study the Word. We need to grow in the Word, be able to reason from the Word of God. But make no mistake. We have to be people of action. That word, if it can't find application and be lived out in direction, in velocity, means nothing. It's just mass. It's just mass. You know, I've, I've used the expression, it, you know, I don't want to simply occupy 18 inches once a week in a church. I need to be doing the business of what I've been designed to do. What is that business? The kingdom business. I'm in the world. I'm not of the world yet I'm for this world. And for this world is the spiritual momentum that God has called every believer. We talked a little while ago. We have to resist the three Bs. The Bs of bodies, buildings, and budgets. That's not our scorecard anymore. Instead, the scorecard of the New Testament church is missional impact. Are people coming 
to Jesus. That's the scorecard. And if people are not coming to Jesus, then what we have is a club that does not fulfill the mandate of the church. Reevaluation. It's a great reevaluation. The reevaluation of what God has called us for. The book of Acts is that book of Acts, not the book of words. It's the actions of the early church. That's why it was phenomenal. I want to close with two things. Number one, this is really important, spiritual momentum. The best way is not always a straight line. The best way is not always a straight line. So in spiritual momentum, we go from here to there as fast as we can, straight. But and when it comes to the kingdom, remember the kingdom's upside down. When it comes to the kingdom, often from here to there will never be straight. It'll be twists and turns, crevices and roadblocks. My sister, she's a professor at the university, King's University in Edmonton. And on her stationery, she teaches teachers. And on her stationery, she has this thing. It's really interesting. She sends it in emails, and, and, and I just looked it up again just the other day because I was, remember her, she was talking about this. And she has this at the end of every one of her, it's her little logo. It says, God draws straight with crooked lines. She does that in all her stationery. God draws straight with crooked lines. I like it because it's true. From here to there won't be straight. From here to there will be all over to get there. And if you think it's going to be straight, and if you think you're out of the will of God because it's not straight, think again. Because over and over, you can't help. Joseph, God calls Joseph. For Joseph to get from here to there, he went all over the place. Think of David. David was anointed king in front of his brothers when he was a teenager. Thirteen years, he's zigzagging back and forth. He's going from here to there, shepherd to king. But it wasn't a straight line. And church, it's not a straight line. When we begin to think it's got to be a straight line, how come God is causing this to happen and this happen? It should be just straight. It won't be. It's not the way God operates. Because for you to have the spiritual momentum to do what needs to be done, you've got to hit the crevices and curves if you're going to accomplish that over there. If you go straight, you won't be able to accomplish it. All the necessity, all the muscles that you need, all the, the disciplines won't be in place. God draws straight with crooked lines. It's true. He does. So, what is spiritual? The spiritual is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I believe we have that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Spiritual. You, Mass, will receive power. Power, velocity, the Holy Spirit, spiritual. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on ourselves. We can't do it with good motives. Can't be motivational speaking. Holy Spirit. That's, this, is what hap- this is what set the first church in place. Holy Spirit released them with power. We're going to pray for that. I'm going to invite in just a moment for you just to embrace the Holy Spirit afresh. I don't know where you've been in this last few weeks or days or months, but can you just press into the working of the Holy Spirit? Maybe, maybe you need a baptism. A baptism. Holy Spirit, take over. 
Do whatever it takes. If you've got some, if you're working out a home, you've got maybe a bit of extra time to do that. All the travel time you don't have anymore, use that time to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. Turn on some music. If you can play, play something. If you can't do either, get into the Word. Read the book of Acts. Read the early church. Get into the place of just, Holy Spirit, transform me by your power. Baptize me. This is a great day to be praying that prayer. Remember, seldom will it happen quickly. You wait for him. You press through. You, it says they take it by force. You stay at it. You stay at it for the Holy Spirit to baptize you. There's one last thing I want to share. Is when there's momentum, momentum creates its own gravity. Yesterday, Laura and I were driving. We were, went to a, uh, an event, and we were in behind a Gibson transport truck. Have you ever seen Gibson? I know it. They drive by the church occasionally. They're the big transport company that uh, transports all of Honda's, Allison Honda supplies, Gibson transport. We were driving behind the big Gibson truck and flying down the highway, and that mass, that momentum of that truck produces its own gravity. You go watch everything behind it swoop in. It pulls things in. It's creating its own gravity. And it is true with momentum. Momentum creates its own gravity. Here's the thing. Church, when we are operating as spiritual momentum, people will follow Jesus. People come to Christ. We will attract the world. As we move in spiritual momentum, the world wants to see Jesus. In momentum, but if there's no momentum, mass momentum, if there's not taking place, they'll not be attracted to it. It creates its own gravity. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca